0: uscho.com. This is the USCHO Weekend Review podcast from U.S. College Hockey Online at uscho.com. A look at this weekend in college hockey and a review of the top news of the week.
1: Welcome to USCHO Weekend Review for Monday, November 30th, 2020. I'm Ed Trefsker alongside Jim Connolly. Well, Jim, uh, it's been an interesting weekend, and one of the things that we know about this season is that there are going to be a lot of upsets because we just don't know very much about a lot of the teams, and some of those upsets happened this weekend. Let's start on the docket with Arizona State with a sweep of a somewhat depleted number 14 Wisconsin. Now, not to take anything away from Arizona State, uh, Tony Granado short a few players, but this was the shot in the arm that Arizona State needed for its season.
2: We've talked about this before too, Ed, and the fact that, you know, Arizona State is facing such an uphill battle. They're gonna play all of their games against Big Ten opponents. All of them are going to be on the road. And they played their first four games. And, you know, at times maybe they look competitive, but, you know, they only scored two goals in their first four games. And let's face it, that's not going to cut the mustard no matter what they bounced back this weekend and i don't know what changes for for Greg Powers i haven't had the chance to talk to him you know they're only off the ice a couple of hours right now since their last game and um they scored 11 goals in the span of of two games and uh, found ways to win both of them different types of games they they jumped out to a four goal lead on saturday and and then kind of hung on they you know, got you know Wisconsin got it back to six to five uh, after being down six to two, and then uh, Arizona State found the last two, and then the next night it was it was a much closer game, much tighter game, but the three goals was enough for for uh, Arizona State. And I, I'm just I, I'm looking at the way this team plays, and we knew that they had talent. We know that they have the ability to to win some games, but it is a very tough road when you're every and, and I'm not kind of hesitating when I say the word road. It's 28 games all the way from your arena. You're going on the road for two to three weeks at a time. I know that they're remote learning. That helps everything. But, wow, it it feels difficult for them. And so to see them go into a a Wisconsin uh, arena this weekend where, you know, Wisconsin has played very well at times this year. You know, the Notre Dame series to start the season kind of stands out. But here you are as Arizona State, you come out with two victories, and you you have to start feeling good about yourself. And now, now you're starting to think, hey, are we a better team? Can we have a little bit more confidence? Goals are going in the back of the net. That's what you need when you're a team that's struggling, is to see the puck go in the back of the net. They saw it this weekend.
1: Well, in Arizona State also, uh, lacking their prolific scorer, Johnny Walker, from the lineup for the weekend. So they're finding other people to score. Not that they don't have other scores, but when you miss uh, a scoring machine like that, that, that certainly speaks well of the depth of the team.
2: It does. You know, when Greg Powers talked to me, um, you know, a couple of weeks before the season began, he said, listen, I know that we had some great teams in the past, he said, but I feel like this is our deepest offensive team. Now, I was shaking my head after after their first four games, scoring only two goals. But now we start to see it this weekend. And you saw some pretty finishes, you know, even plays that did not result in goals. They were making some of those cross seam passes that made a goaltender really have to work to make that save or make a defenseman really get back into position, getting out of position, you know, to, to block a shot. I, I liked a lot of what they did. I was pretty impressed by them both nights. Um, especially that, that, that eight goal outburst on Saturday night, they, they did a lot of things right in that. And then on, uh, you know, on Sunday, you know, playing more of a, a game that they had to manage. Um, I I think that this is is a team that still has a lot of upside.
1: You know, you mentioned about depth on teams and and it had me thinking about something I've been thinking about a little bit lately is that it used to be remarkable that a team would be deep enough to really roll four lines. But depth seems to be something that is pretty universal around teams these days Uh, with, with so much talent out there teams don't have two and a half lines teams have four lines when everybody's healthy
2: yeah i think i'd probably say that teams have three lines you know for the most part and their fourth line still for the most part is a line that you know you can do some things with but for the most part you're really more thinking about your top three and the reason i say that is because you still do have you know tv timeouts and stuff like that can that can reset games so if If you've gone, you know, six minutes in a game and you're trying to find a way to get back, maybe you had to roll your fourth line out once and maybe all your other lines out twice. But then a TV timeout comes. And then you can reset back to that first line and get back into a a, a rhythm and an order that you like. So I, I agree with you. I think teams are deeper. Teams are trying to, you know, continuously create depth. But the reality is that, you know, every league has some sort of a TV timeout, a media timeout. Even if the game's not televised, they still find ways to take timeouts right now. And because of that, I think that you're seeing that teams maybe have three unbelievably solid lines or maybe two. You know, the, the, the middle of the ground, middle ground teams have two pretty solid lines. And then a fourth line that I wouldn't mind having them, but you really don't want them out in critical situations.
1: It's interesting you mentioned media timeouts. Some of the leagues have gone from three to one, so that's a couple fewer chances to get that top line out there. Uh, Although uh, it looks like ECAC is sticking with three, but uh, I think the the games I've seen in Big Ten, for example, they just have one in the middle in the shortened intermissions. But uh, we'll talk about the effect of all this stuff on the game a little bit later on in the podcast, but back to... Uh, what's going on in the ice. Uh, I think that if if uh, North Dakota was playing right now and had a blemish on the record, you'd see number one for Boston College. They are a machine, a two-game sweep of UMass home and home this weekend.
2: I, I would say it's going to be very difficult for me when I fill out my ballot either tonight or uh, Monday morning to not pick Boston College as the number one team. I know North Dakota is is a superior team and they're going to do great things. We haven't seen them play yet, but we saw Boston college go in and play a home and home with number seven UMass this weekend and a very good UMass team um, and find a way both nights to win games, uh, you know, opening night, Friday night, a kind of a back and forth contest. BC takes a three, one lead. UMass ties at three, three. And then Matt Boldy, who, you know, I have kind of looked at as, maybe the player on boston college that not a lot of people are talking about and they should be he scores the game winning goal uh late well early in the third period but late in the game and then on on saturday bc comes back and not to say that they dominated or anyway in any way but they they find a way to win 6-3 and i just liked everything about bc's game this weekend Um, it'll be interesting going forward they're going to play umass lowell in concept next weekend lowell had a positive case uh for covid in contact tracing has kind of knocked that them off the ice for a while we don't know the day that they're going to return but should bc be able to play an opponent next weekend it is scheduled to be umass lowell and that could be a pretty good contest because i think that a lot of people think that lowell uh has a very good team coming back into this season but Right now, I like a lot about BC. You know, particularly, I think everybody was worried about how young their defense would be, but you know, Colby Ambrosio, I think, looked good this weekend, and you know, you don't really have to go too far down their lineup. There weren't a lot of guys. Jack Agnew was in the lineup, but you know, you didn't have to play a lot of freshmen. You had a lot of sophomores, but when you really look at it, the sophomores performed extremely well. Uh, for the Eagles. And I think that's what makes them a team that's going to be very
1: dangerous. A team that I thought also would be in the running and has been getting some first round or first place votes rather in the poll is Michigan. They, uh, in the first couple of weekends, I thought they were an unstoppable juggernaut and a team that had disappointed early on was Notre Dame. Yet it was Notre Dame on the road coming away with a weekend sweep at Yost over Michigan
2: let's think about this. We know that Jeff Jackson and his team are not just going to roll over and die. This is a very strong Notre Dame team and their Friday contest. We knew it was pretty strong watching that one, they had to score a couple of late goals. And then, then Saturday, they just kind of played a, a very good hockey game. And like, I just look at this team as one that can get things done. Will they do it consistently? No, probably they won't. They, they don't have that depth, but they have the ability um you know in right now i i think that we can't underestimate Notre Dame any night and i don't know where they're going to finish could they be a top 3 team in the big 10 yes could they be a top 2 team in the big 10 possibly could they be in the bottom 4 easily uh i i don't know where they're going to end up but i i liked what i saw this week and you know i think michigan has to regroup it's it's easy When you're a team that hadn't had a lot of expectations placed on you for many years you know it's been a few years since they've had a lot of success it's easy to you know get complacent you you've won four games you found ways to win games you had an overtime win that was kind of cute with a nice little fancy goal but it's easy to get complacent you know and i almost feel like that's what michigan did Maybe didn't take Notre Dame as serious as they should have, and and Notre Dame proved that they can find ways to score goals. I I was impressed the way that the Irish played this entire weekend.
1: One other upset on the weekend, Friday night, as part of a series split, RIT had a five-goal third period and an eight-to-five win over number nine Clarkson. You know, I'm I'm at the point now where any Atlantic Hockey win over a ranked team isn't such a surprise anymore. But it was a good start for the season for RIT in a in a two game series on Friday and Sunday that didn't come together until early in the week. Uh, RIT had a series against uh, Niagara postponed for a week, and Clarkson is just flat out desperate to find any games as they've been left high and dry so many times. So that was a it was a good win for RIT, a team that has. Uh, a pretty potent offensive side of its game and a young defensive squad, but probably will be making some noise in Atlantic hockey again this year.
2: Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what this means. You know, obviously getting a huge third period, a five goal third period on, on, a uh, uh, Friday night was big and, and coming from behind to win a game. That's a, that's a, Kind of a headline moment but at the same time there's a clarkson team out there that we we don't know where they are you know it's and it's going to be very difficult to gauge where clarkson should be in the national picture should they be a top 10 team right now probably not you know should be they be a top 20 team i think they probably are i mean we only have what is it? Fifty-three teams left in in college hockey at this point, Division One men's at least. Now, um, but you know, I you know, it's it's difficult to gauge how great of an upset that was. And then Clarkson, obviously, they got you know some late goals and and closed out uh, Saturday's. Con- uh, I'm sorry, Sunday's con- contest. But at the same time, I, I think that you have to stick this one in your cap if you're RIT, You got to you kind of remember how you came from behind, which was a good moment. Um, and then how you probably excited yourself as a team would it have been nice to, to complete the weekend sweep? No, no doubt. That would have been a real confidence builder. Uh, but you gotta find a way to take something out of this weekend, push it into Atlantic hockey play. This is gonna be a strange season. I, you know, every time you have a, a game canceled, you're always as a team, probably trying to scramble and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more after the break, but you know, af- when you're looking for games to play at this point, it's, it's a struggle. So. These guys got together. They found a way to play some games, and I, I'm I'm glad for that. And you gotta you got what could be considered a nice little upset out of Friday night.
1: And Clarkson three for five on the power play on Sunday, plus the empty netter made that one look a little bit wider than it was. But uh, yeah, it's 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 good for the whole game that uh, all that uh, Atlanta hockey is elevating. And I know uh, their league commissioner Bob DiGregorio. Uh, is very proud of that but we will take a break and come back with some more we're going to talk about so many games being canceled and also a look ahead at the nchc bubble when weekend review continues
0: this is the uscho weekend review podcast from u.s college hockey online after the end of a good fight you deserve an ice cold reward
1: This is USCHL Weekend Review. I'm Ed Trefsker with Jim Connolly. And Jim, one of the things that's amazing is it really seems that more games have been canceled versus played. I know that's definitely the case in Hockey East. But it's interesting what kind of things cancel a game. Sometimes it's not even a positive test. Sometimes it's symptoms awaiting a test. But nobody is playing fast and loose with this. Everybody's trying to be careful.
2: Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think that, you know, we've seen I, I, the numbers out of the Big Ten. I don't think we get daily numbers or weekly numbers, you know, statistics. And we don't really get it from any conference. But when you can sometimes add things up, the Big Ten has done a fantastic job. But I guess we shouldn't be surprised by that. They've gone through this with football. And I think that you, you're you finding that this as a, another sport, uh, hockey, and now they're in men's and women's basketball right now. Uh, They're finding ways to operate because they've gone through it. They have a lot of resources, a ton more resources than some small schools. I look at Hockey East, all Division I schools, but, you know, except for Boston College, none of them power five uh, conference schools. So then you look at Hockey East and, and, you know, it came out the first night of the season that they were supposed to play their first game. You know, boston college in new hampshire was supposed to face off and you know just it was just hours before face off that new hampshire had an inconclusive test and uh, people have said well why if it was a one inconclusive test would they have not played the game well it's an inconclusive test that the next day became conclusive That that person did have COVID nineteen, and then you had to contract contact trace back to that individual and see who was around that individual for extended periods of times. There can be cohorts during practices, whatever it may be. Maybe it's even roommates in dorms and all that sort of stuff. People you you know associate with off the ice. That contact tracing is what kind of is the one that takes you down to the point that you can't field a competitive team and if you were to have to we see it in the uh nfl right now you know the the denver broncos are going to play yeah. <laughs> and by the time people listen to this the game is over but you know they played with no quarterbacks i mean can you imagine a college hockey team going out and playing with no goaltenders you know that's kind of the the point that you you realize that can that can happen so Contact tracing is the is really the kind of the 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 backbone of what is probably canceling or postponing a lot of these games. And it's responsible. It's the way we have to move ahead. Unfortunately, does it make it miserable for the team involved? Of course it does. Does it make it miserable for the fans? Sure have teams tried to do some great things and you know you look at uconn playing umass last weekend you look at umass playing boston college this weekend even lowell was supposed to play uh providence uh on saturday but then lowell got a got a positive test now they're they're kind of shut down for a while it's going to be difficult there's no doubt um i don't have a real feeling for time of when this might get easier um league to league we don't know what it's going to be like in Atlantic hockey. We don't know what it's going to be like in hockey East. We don't know what it's going to be like in the WCHA. I do believe that the big 10 and the NCHC going into a bubble will help, but it's going to be a long season in terms of cancellations. We're going to have more cancellations at times. It's going to feel that we're going to have games played. I think at
1: this point, Um, My hunch is the right thing to do is to try to play when you can, because we're entering a time now where a lot of universities have sent their students home and they're going to do online testing, uh, online exams, and then start the next semester a little bit later and leave kind of a window in there. So this is the time now between the end of November and mid to late January where uh, campuses, uh, if they've had students on campus, are going to be pretty empty. That's the best time for teams to get these games in. But even so, one of the things that seems to be so baffling about this pandemic is no matter what people do to try to protect against it, whether they follow all the protocols, somebody still seems to be able to to come down with the disease uh, when the transmission mode is unclear. And and that's been a very difficult thing. So I, I don't even know if uh, putting everybody in a bubble is going to solve the situation.
2: I think that is is by far the most frustrating part of this. You know, we saw the NHL bubble work so successfully Uh, up in Canada this summer. We saw the NBA bubble work very successfully. Ah uh, in Orlando, but the, you know those are leagues that have millions and millions of dollars worth of resources to test daily to to make sure that players are staying in certain confined areas, you know, do dietary things that can make your your dining not horrible. And we saw i I know I saw some photos of food that didn't look great, but i I know that things got better the longer that team stayed there. So, for the you look at the NCHC, they're going into a bubble basically beginning uh, tomorrow, and they'll, they'll be uh, in there for I believe about 21, 22 days. They're going to try to play, I believe, 38 games in that time frame, all kind of cross pollinized games. Teams from the western part of the NCHC will play the eastern teams from the NCHC. And then after that, after January 1, you know, each of those four teams will kind of try to play one another uh, on campus sites. but it is so difficult to control and understand why the virus spreads why it's getting into places that you would think the the players themselves you know we know athletes and you and i have been around them combined for probably about 50 years and no student athlete at this point wants to screw this up so when you know positive cases arise on a team i don't feel like that's you know definitely on the student athlete themselves how it gets there who knows Um, i don't feel like kids are going out intentionally trying to get this virus or even intentionally putting them in a situation where they would get the virus but it just shows you can be as responsible as you want and you just don't know exactly why or how things can spread that's what is scary about covid that is what is scary about trying to get a hockey season accomplished you know and it's what makes us ask the question should we still be doing this and um, i don't have the perfect answer to that right now and but
0: it, it
2: is it is very serious and we we have to kind of look at that question every day
1: Yeah, I think the decision has to be left to those who are participating um, because I don't think it's uh, fair for us to try to make the decision. We may have some opinions, but, um, you know, you look at uh, what happened uh, with RIT restarting the season. Those were student athletes who were adamant that they should have the opportunity to play and that they'd been doing everything right. But then you look at Hockey Canada, their their World Junior Camp, which the only reason they're having a camp is because the leagues are not playing in Canada. And here they are, uh, bubbled and separated, and now they're in a 14-day quarantine. Uh, one of those players is Dylan Holloway, who Wisconsin sh- certainly could have used this weekend. But, uh, uh, you know, three players from uh, U.S., uh, from NCAA hockey up there. That makes me wonder if even if they have a bubble late December, early January in Edmonton, whether that can work.
2: It's going to be very difficult. You know, we we saw it with the NHL up in Canada because there was such a low transmission rate. Um, you know, it was almost nil when the NHL got there and they had done some extensive testing of all the players to cross the border into the bubble. Um, I don't know that they can do that extensive testing of uh, for the ihf and you know let's be realistic the, you know you're bringing in uh, i believe it's 12 teams so 11 teams into canada uh from all across the world all across different populations and you can try to do everything perfectly and you can still bring it in i mean you know you look at hockey canada i mean they they only brought in a certain number of players a uh, 30-ish a little more than 30 players that they brought in coaches staff all that stuff they've been bubbling as it is for a few weeks and they they now are shut down because of COVID. and you know this is a a supposedly i I believe if the numbers right 61 day bubble for them from the time that they got there to the time that they leave if they were to win the gold medal and and you can't even get through week two i believe and and not already have a positive case. I I don't know how it's done. I don't. And and it goes back to I don't know how NCAA hockey is done without the impact of this, you know, of COVID. We don't have a vaccine. We're not close to a vaccine. We're not going to have a vaccine that can be effective for, you know, in essence, another eight months probably. And well, I I, I don't know. I I mean, there may be some
1: news on that. Uh, Doctor Fauci was talking about getting some to first responders at the end of December and maybe March or April before uh, other people can. But, but
2: even so, there, there are issues with that too. I understand that people can get the vaccine, but you can't just say, okay, I've got the vaccine, now I'm immune. You, you, nobody's gonna know the total immunity that you're gonna have right away. True. And to, to, to really stop the spread from what, every, you know, I am not a scientist, I'm a journalist, and, and I will stick to that till the day I die but i am well read enough to understand that they say that unless 80% of the entire world vaccinates against this stopping the spread to a point that it can't actually harm us all not maybe personally but in terms of our hospitalization rate and you know just you know our economies you know we could still be in a position that a year from now we could have 60 of the population vaccinated and not being a better place which that that scares, scares me. So I don't want to try to be a foreseer of a future with that. And um, we'll, we'll see where it goes, I guess.
1: Well, lastly, you mentioned NCAA uh, for basketball. They're going to have everybody in a bubble in Indianapolis. That's gotta be something that is being considered for hockey? Because uh, right now the setup would be four teams uh, at each of four regionals. That's assuming that there would be 16 teams in the playoffs. We don't even know that right now. I mean, there are no answers right now. It's not like the uh, committee has the answers and is just not telling anybody. They're still working through this too. But uh, if you had a hunch on it, what would be the likelihood that we would see a bubble and maybe no regionals, but a, a, a tighter, closer uh, couple of weeks in a in a bubble for NCAA hockey.
2: So I want to you know kind of blanket this by saying I don't have any inside information on this, and I know conversations have taken place, um, but nothing has you know decidedly been been made. I would say that it's probably a stronger chance that the NCAA does if they have a tournament. Does move inside of a bubble situation, as opposed to going to four different regions. Um, from what I understand, you know they will consider different places. You know, obviously Pittsburgh is the host of the Frozen Four. I don't know if that is the uh, the ideal situation, the ideal place. But you need to be able to you know house teams for an extended period of time. Um, you know, you can probably play in concept the entire tournament over. You know a pretty short period of time I, you have to give days off in between so i would think maybe eight days to play the entire tournament is quite possible um this is a lot of personal conjecture but with a little bit of institutional knowledge from what people have told me but again this is not from the committee so um you know the thought that you could go to a city whether it is pittsburgh whether it is maybe omaha omaha could be a great uh, trial with this bubble that they're going to go through with the ncaa i'm sorry the nchc um, and they have a great history with the ncaa they've hosted the the men's baseball tournament the division one baseball tournament for a long time in omaha so you never know it's it's hard to tell it i think um but i do think that there are going to have to be innovative solutions we all already know pretty much the pairwise rankings can be thrown out the window i don't even think uh, USCHO has them on the site right now because they don't matter um, you you need non-conference play and extensive non-conference play to make those relevant that won't exist so you know it's going to be a weird year uh how you how you see how you field your tournament uh, i don't think it'll come down to lawsuits like we had back in the 1960s and 70s to to get teams in but i think that the, you know there's going to be a little bit more confusion on how if this tournament happens how you seed it
1: well, all of this has come home very strongly to those of us at USCHO as we have a colleague right now hospitalized in serious condition who has contracted COVID nineteen. Uh, it was quite a shock to find it out today, and uh, we're all pulling for our colleague. But we, you know, we don't want to uh, release a name or anything right now. But uh, you know, this is serious stuff, and while there is mixed information and a lot of uh, people trying to find. Uh, conspiracy theories in it and all It, it it's real and it affects people and it hopefully it won't affect somebody you know
2: yeah you say that uh well Ed, um you know it's it's simple wear a mask do the right thing stop being idiots in the united states like we're a pretty smart country i think it's one of you know i consider the fact that i live here and maybe i live in boston which is a kind of an educated area because you have so many colleges and universities right around my my given area. We maybe feel smarter, but I think that the entire United States has, has a very high education level. Please wear a mask, you know, l- listen to people, listen to what they're doing. You know, our colleague is a very responsible man, a good person. He has done everything right during this pandemic. From the beginning, he has been a preacher of wearing a mask somehow he has come down with uh with COVID, and uh let's just say prayers because uh we don't want to be people that you know lose friends to, to to uh to something that is it just doesn't feel necessary so let's just be smart folks and uh, i guess that's where i have to leave it at It's i hate to end something on such a somber tone but uh Let's just be smart, folks. We're, we're, we're the United States of America. Let's be smart. For Jim Conley, I'm Ed Trefsker, and we'll catch you next time.
0: This has been the USCHO Weekend Review Podcast, a production of U.S. College Hockey Online. Visit uscho.com slash podcasts to listen or subscribe.